My text this evening is from uh, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 17 this time. So go a few pages on in your Bibles from this morning. Acts 17, verses 16 and 17. I'll read them again. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So this morning we were in our first city, uh, the city of Damascus, the capital of modern day Syria. So we're we're going west now to our second city an ancient city, the city of Athens. This is the tale of the second city. It's the center point of classical civilization. I'm sure when I say Athens to you tonight, you think of the Parthenon, don't you? And the hills there and the white marble and the statues and the food maybe. This grand city of Athens. And I want to consider these two verses tonight, which is the great sort of precursor, the great sort of uh, before Paul's great sermon on Mars Hill. I don't want to go on to that sermon too much, because there's enough, I think, in these two verses. This background is often overlooked, and preachers often zoom forward to the sermon uh, later on, which is, of course, a grand Uh, It's probably one of the biggest sermons in history, isn't it? But let's look at what Paul is doing here. Have you ever lurked? I like that word, lurk. Have you ever lurked in a city? Uh, I've had the privilege of lurking in many cities. You know, you do, don't you, over time? As I'm sure many of you have. Boston, Vienna, you know, things stay on your mind, don't they? Uh, I don't know what would stay on your mind if you were lurking in Cardiff. Maybe the arcades or the stadium. But, you know, I remember Phoenix in Arizona and being struck by the homelessness and being really moved. And sometimes a city can move you like that, can't it? Um, Or maybe you've been struck by the beauty of Paris on an autumn night. I don't know. They leave their mark on you, don't they? So what's the context of this chapter? Well, we find Paul arriving from the north, okay? His friends who had accompanied him from Berea, as we see in the reading, had now gone. And if you look at verse 15 there, he'd asked them to send Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Uh, This isn't a one-man game, is it? Uh, We need one another. And that's a lovely thing there. He asked him to join him as soon as possible. He was hoping to return to Macedonia. Because you'll remember earlier in this book that Paul had had that very vivid call uh, to take the gospel to the Macedonians. Uh, We're told then that Paul had some time on his hands. That's that's what the chapter is telling us. And he's wandering through the city. And whilst he's wandering 
through the city and waiting for his friends, very simply tonight, I want to ask three questions, okay? Three questions which arise from these two verses. And the first question, what impact did Athens have on Paul? What impact? Secondly, does Paul leave his mark on Athens? And thirdly, what about us then in Cardiff? So Athens' is impact on Paul, Paul's impact, if you like, on Athens, and then we'll come home and see what we can learn for us here in Cardiff. Well, first of all, what impact did Athens have on the Apostle Paul? Well, um, he doesn't go to the, uh, he doesn't have his guidebook out, D and K, with a map and go to the Parthenon. He doesn't go to the sites and to the cultural center points. What are we told in the scripture? It's not the Parthenon or the Agora, which is the marketplace that strikes him. It's not the art or the culture, not even the food. <laughs> in verse 16, we're told he saw a city which was overflowing with idols. Overflowing with idols. The original here is more that the city was under idols, absolutely smothered in them. Uh, one writer said that it was easier to meet a god on the streets of Athens than a man. Now imagine that. That was one of the major cities of the ancient world. And that it would be easier to meet a god, small g, as we know there is only one god, one god in heaven and earth, three persons, but there is one god. And you're thinking, yes, I know what, it's been, what it would be like. I've been to the British Museum. No, it was nothing like the British Museum. <laughs> it would have been overwhelming. Uh, India might be something close to it today. But I think we can't really understand this. The word smothered is good. What is smother? Suffocating, isn't it? It's when you <laughs> smother your mouth, it's suffocating. That's what it was like on Paul. You know, uh, marble, gold, silver, wood. You're thinking, yes, yes, I know what an idol is. We have the remnants of it today, but there would have been altars to Athene, to Demeter, to Zeus. There would have been shrines to concepts like shame, pride, they were, they were praying to everything and everything, anything, okay? There, there was one in particular. Did you notice it in the reading? Verse 23, which struck Paul to his very core, the altar to the unknown God. They were covering their bases, as it were. They said, oh, just in case that we've forgotten something, we're going to have this altar to the unknown God. Can you imagine now, you understand now why I was in Damascus this morning, for Paul, who had known God, who had met him face to face, he probably would have said, I know that God. I know that God. I've met him. I met him on the road to Damascus. The man this morning who had come face to face 
with the God Almighty in his, you know, in the second person, risen uh, in his glory. Oh, can you imagine the grief? You know, Paul was overwhelmed with how, with how the God-given artistry which the Lord had gifted these people was being used to worship everything and anything except him, him. I think he would have stood, what did he feel like? He saw this, but what did he feel like? Let's look at the text. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was smothered with idols. That word provoke there, um, it's more that kind of, his heart was churning, a constant, you know, that feeling of grief which is going on and on. He didn't lose his temper, notice. He didn't make a song and a dance right there, right then. He was disturbed in his very being. I went to see Tchaikovsky. Yeah, uh, not the man now. Uh, he's been dead for a while. I went to hear the Pathetic Symphony with Esther uh, once when we were students. And we were both sitting in the front row uh, in St. David's Hall. You could get five pound tickets then, students. It was a lovely thing. Uh, and I knew exactly what Tchaikovsky was saying through the music. I was moved. And even at, I'm not ashamed to say that even a tear may have uh, crept out of my eye. Esther was mortified. <laughs> uh, she enjoyed it. She's musical. But her brother was making a scene. And it goes on through the whole piece, doesn't it? If you know Tchaikovsky. <laughs> it's, it's a really sad piece of music. Now, the verb in the text here is the imperfect, and it denotes, like I said, not a loss of temper, but a little bit like what I was going through, the same kind of emotions when watching Tchaikovsky. I wasn't being left alone. My heart was wrenching. A continuous, settled reaction. You see, it's the same word which is regularly used for the Holy One of Israel in the Old Testament. His reaction to idolatry. Do you remember that? A great internal combustion. Think about it. Uh, Paul, a monotheistic lad, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. We talked a little bit about his identity this morning. This place must have absolutely smacked him. Because even though before he hadn't known the Lord Jesus Christ, he was still a monotheistic Jew. And it would have been really, really insulting. But it's even worse now because he knows who his God is. He's met him. He's personal. It's so much worse for him. Remember, uh, if anyone understood idolatry and its depth, though, there's a little side note here. Yes, he would have been horrified by it like a Jew. But wasn't Paul or Saul making an idolatry of his own identity, of his own Jewishness. It's subtle, isn't it, idolatry? There's something, even though India might be the closest thing we get to in this, there's something very familiar to us in this scene, isn't there? Uh, our idols now are far more subtle technology, sex, the media. 
self. Self is the big idol of the 21st century. It's everywhere, isn't it? Me, me, me. Oh, idolatry starts with the greatest idol of all, me, me. My ideas, my point of view, even in Christian circles, we're terrible at this. My point of view, my gender, my life. Alistair Begg, if you've not heard of him, he's an excellent pastor in America whose sermons are worth a listen, says that the chaos of our culture is rooted in that deep trusting that something or someone can satisfy us or do for us what only the living God, i.e. the Lord Jesus Christ, should be doing for us. Is that you this evening? Is that you? None but Christ can satisfy. Do you know the hymn? None other name for me. And what's in that name? There's life. Do you remember? There's love. There's lasting joy. Lord Jesus found in thee. This scene reminds me, actually, I don't know if you've heard of Henry Martin, the great um, Anglican missionary uh, to Persia. And he was having a, a, a dinner, a supper, with a Muslim friend called Mohammed. No, not Mohammed, sorry. Um, I've got the name wrong, sorry. Uh, Mirza Said Ali. He was having a dinner with this gentleman, and the gentleman told him about a painting. They were talking about culture, you see. They were talking about paintings. And in that painting, it depicted Mohammed and Jesus Christ, which is quite unusual for Islam, but there we are. Jesus Christ bowing to Mohammed in the painting. And Henry Martin was, was cut to the core. He was nearly in tears. And he says, I was cut to the soul of this blasphemy. Mirza Said Ali perceived that I was considerably disordered and asked what it was that was so offensive. I told him I could not endure existence if Jesus was not glorified. It would be hell to me if he were to be always thus dishonored. Is it a hell to you when our Lord is dishonored in our society today? I don't think so. Not for many of us. You know, don't be fooled that these other deities and these other prophets are, like I said this morning, are other ways to the living God. No, no. There is no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Are we jealous for that name tonight, Heath Church? Are we jealous for the Lord. Exodus 34 tells us that God is a jealous God. And do you remember when the Israelites, they'd seen so much, hadn't they? They'd witnessed so much, and yet when Moses comes down from the hill, they've, they've made a golden cow. A golden cow. Oh, are we provoked? Or perhaps we've grown too acclimatized. The dearest idol I have known, whatever idol be, help me, Lord, to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. What are our idols here in Cardiff? Have you ever thought about that? I've mentioned a few earlier. And, you know, I, I mentioned rugby very positively this morning. 
And I like rugby. I understand rugby. I was a prop. <laughs> but any Christian who isn't shaken when they see that place packed on the Lord's day, I'm sorry, but you should be. It's the Lord's day, brothers and sisters. They should be here. They should be here. Athens had a huge impact on Paul. Does Cardiff, I'm not picking on rugby, there's loads of idols. Does Cardiff have that impact on you? But secondly, did Paul leave his stamp on Athens? We're told in our text, aren't we, that he reasoned in the synagogue and in the marketplace daily. Following his usual practice, he goes to the synagogue first, doesn't he? And who are this? There's another group mentioned here uh, in verse 17, Gentile worshippers. I love that. There were those who were not of Israel who were fed up, really, with everything that was going on about them. And they knew that the Jews had something. I wonder if there's any worshippers here uh, on the edge, as it were, tonight. Are you intrigued by what we're talking about tonight? And then notice in the text, Paul went to the Agora, the greatest point of impact. Now, if you were here today, would that be Tesco Extra or um, the marketplace down in the Hayes? Uh, well, I, it could have been. It might have been. But compare that maybe to the radio work that some of our brothers and sisters are doing. What's having the most impact? That's where Paul's going. He's thinking about it. He's not just shouting and hoping for the best. He's thinking, I'm going today and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And he, don't you love that? In the verse, we've got Jews, uh, the Gentile worshippers, and those who happen to be in the market. My friends, where's your marketplace? I want you to start thinking, even now, as I'm going through this sermon. Notice... Look a bit closely at these groups of people. They're different, aren't they? You've got intellectuals, which are mentioned later, which I won't go into now. And they used to say of George Whitfield, didn't they, that he could, he could be as comfortable in the parlour of an aristocratic house as he was on the opening of a coal mine. May we never be snobs here, Heath Church. May we always, uh, that our doors would be open to all shapes and sizes because you can see from this text that the gospel is for all isn't it oh he's using his head here and what did he say what did he say did you notice we're told in verse 18 he preached to them jesus and the resurrection that's the crux of our message heath church I was, in, um, I was preaching somewhere recently and uh, I mentioned that Christ was risen from the dead and the minister there wasn't happy with me and he said that I was a fool and that I was a, a childish believer for daring to share that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. My friends... If Jesus is not alive and heaven is not there and hell is not there, or if Christ is not in us, but just, if, if Christ is not risen and he's just in us, that's not, that's not good enough, is it? 
There's no future for that liberal lie, my friends, however eloquently it's defended. My friends, like one writer stated, Paul brought good news to bad news city. And what an impact. I prefer this. Do you? I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us, and a Pontius Pilate. That's not the end of the story, is it? What a disaster our faith would be if that's the end of the story, isn't it? You know, he was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day, he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven. If you're not moved by this, oh, my friends, it's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. That's the old story, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ and him resurrected. What did Paul not do? He didn't straight away go around Athens with a placard saying, down with idols, did he? That would be ridiculous. He didn't preach an anti-idol gospel to begin with. Yes, he talks more about that later. At first, he declares that Jesus Christ lived and died and was raised on the third day. Later on, he calls them to repent. But look, he's courteous here, isn't he, later on? We can glance very quickly at that sermon. Notice how he says to them, it's a very famous line, isn't it? I see that you are a religious people. Genius. Genius. He he comes to them where they're at and follows their own logic to the altar of the unknown God. And you know what he does then? He tells them, I know that God and I know him in the life and work and person of the dear Lord Jesus Christ. I know him. I know him. This is the first piece of good news. Because if you notice, after his sermon in verse 16 and 17, or sermons... Some of them think that he's talking about two gods. They haven't, ha- they haven't gone through Birkhoff systematics together yet, have they? All he's doing is proclaiming Christ. Are we doing that? May we never try and uh, put everything in their faces before they even know about this person, our lovely Saviour, the Lord Jesus. So what about us here in Cardiff? Have you been thinking... Where's your marketplace, brothers and sisters? Now, remember, for Paul, it was a marketplace. It's not not cryptic here. The marketplace was the marketplace. It's lovely, isn't it, that we've got the chill and chat, the warm bank. These are little markets, aren't they? But I would want to go further. We need to be out there, don't we? Your social spheres, your school... Your university, they're all little marketplaces. 
you know, I can't cope with this view that we just do everything in here and that we just, you know, sing together. We're to be um, in the world, but not of the world. You see, imagine if Paul had never read the philosophy and poetry of Greece. Would he have been accepted the platform if he couldn't speak in their language? But what does that look like for us? There's an urgent need, brothers and sisters. We're not all called to pulpits and mission fields. We need scientists who are godly men and women. We need artists who are godly men and women. Doctors and lawyers. And they're sitting here today. Oh, be in the marketplaces. Writers, artists and literary students. Don't let people say that you can't do those things as a Christian. We need Christians in these spheres. Oh, isn't that refreshing that Paul read widely and was equipped to speak to the people in the Agora, on Mars Hill, and even in the synagogue. Even in the synagogue. It would have been a disastrous story if Paul had just stayed in the synagogue. We are living, brothers and sisters, in a city like Athens. May we return to the basics, knowing God and the depth of the whole gospel message, isn't it? The sermon later talks about God as this light that they've been wallowing in the darkness, as it were, and that God is closer than they think. You see, we cannot preach about Jesus today without preaching late when they come in about the doctrine of God. The cross makes no sense unless they, unless they understand the creation. Salvation is meaningless without judgment. This is what the poor would later call the whole counsel of God. But he doesn't do that straight away. He declares to them Jesus Christ and him crucified and that he was raised on the third day. Fellow Christians, I feel ashamed. You know, my, my neighbours are not here tonight. My family members are not here tonight. We rely so much on the sovereignty of God, but may we never, never forget Romans 10. Do you remember it? For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says... Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But note, we usually stop there. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? My friends, make sure they hear. Make sure they hear. Wherever you are, whatever place you find yourself tomorrow morning, make sure they hear. Be like Paul, be winsome, be wise, but make sure they hear. Because we notice at the end of the chapter, you'd think after a sermon like that, they would have been pouring in, wouldn't you? And yet, notice in verse 34, some men joined him and believed. Not many, not many. Among them, 
Dionysius the Areopagite. And I bet you he was talking about the resurrection on that hill for a long time, and he was a thorn in the Athenian flesh. And a woman named Damaris and others with them. We'll meet them one day, Dionysius and Damaris. And if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, oh, my friends, don't be fooled by the idols that pass away. After all, just, you can't take them with you, can you? You've all got them. May we look at the one who is King of kings, Lord of lords, who is lovely, isn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ satisfies a wooden thing or a phone or your own ego can never satisfy you like Jesus Christ. I'm sure many of you can attest that when you first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you could sleep again, knowing that it is well, it is well with my soul. Remember, some sneered when we're told, they were told about the resurrection. Is that you tonight? Are you sneering at me, thinking I'm a fool like that man? <laughs> Are you delaying? Don't delay. Tomorrow is, uh, one minister famously said, tomorrow is the devil's favorite word. Do not tarry till you're better, for you may never come at all. But some saw, didn't they? They saw the Lord Jesus Christ in Paul's words, and they turned from their dark and pointless ways, and they gave their hearts and life to the one we know as the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray together? Lord, which category are these people in tonight? Are they sneerers, hearers, doubters, doers, waiters, or may they be seers? May they see the Lord Jesus as altogether lovely. And God, may we all have an encounter, even with you this week. May we no more, more about Jesus would I know, more of his love to others show. May we find our marketplaces. May we not stay in the synagogues, waiting, as it were, for them to come in. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign, and in your kindness, people do come in. And may we all be imitators of Christ, showing him to be all in all in everything that we do and say. We ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We'll finish by singing a hymn that's often heard in the Millennium Stadium, of course. Uh, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. This should be our national anthem as well, shouldn't it? Hold me with thy powerful hand. Hymn number 728, if you're listening at home.
you, Lord, that you are death defeater and hope giver. We do not worship just merely a human here tonight, but we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah, the Anointed One, the lover of our souls. O oh Lord, may each and every one of us be found in him and in him forever. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>